So good morning again. This is Jim O'Donnell. I'm here with Olivia Romo of the New Mexico Acequia Association. Um, I'd like to introduce or get Olivia to introduce herself. Um, why don't you just tell us, a, give us a quick background about you. Yeah, buenos dias, le de Dios a todos. Uh, my name is Olivia Romo and I grew up here in Taos in, in Llano Quemado. Um, and it is such a beautiful day here today in Tausi. Um, pleasure to be here with, with, uh, with Jim, and um, I'm just really happy to be here this morning. So I'm, I um, am a full-time staff member at the New Mexico Acequia Association. I've been there for about, now actually in July was my anniversary, I've been there for three years. So junior staff member traveling across the state working with Acequias, and actually doing a lot of work here in Taos with the Taos Valley Acequia Association. And so when you're traveling around, what is it you're doing with the Acequias? What are you helping them do? So we put on uh, water right educational workshops, and um, we particularly work with regional Acequia Associations. So where there's different basins across the state, particularly this year we focused on the Rio San Jose. Um, Which is where? Nestled uh, between Laguna and Acoma Pueblo um, off of Mount Taylor. So that's the Blue Water Basin. From Mimbres to Taos, um, from Mora, all over where there is um, functioning acequia associations. And are you helping them develop their systems about how about how they work their internal systems and find mayordomos or how how what exactly are you doing with give us some examples so, some details so some <laughs> governance work in particular so in an area where there's an active adjudication mm-hmm. of, of water rights um acequias need to be in compliance with state law they have to have updated bylaws um and we are addressing issues like water restoration watershed restoration of course, and then you have your basic issues with the acequias, right? Uh, delinquencias, right. getting people to participate, and talking about seeds. So these are, are different topics that we're seeing that are coming up in the acequia community. But most importantly, how to keep people's water rights in use through ben- in beneficial use. So that um, they can keep them. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just to back up, I know we're talking, probably the majority of people listening are um, here in northern New Mexico, so they may have an idea of what acequias are. But I am constantly surprised at the number of people who simply don't know what an acequia is. So, you know, we can easily describe it as an irrigation ditch, but it's more than that. So... Um, tell us, what, what is an acequia? So um, the acequia systems were brought here, I would say, you know, a few hundred years ago from Moorish via Spain. They came here, the, you know, the Arabic people, and they really, with, with Spain, right, during the colonization time, um, they were very humble ditches that were dug with handmade tools, um, literally just very humble ditches to assert their... To, so, you know, when the colonists came here through España, they were trying to prove that they were able to sustain themselves in the new world and say, okay, we, we found water, we're going to build our churches, and that is how we established the land grants. And so some of the earliest acequias in northern New Mexico were like in Chamita, in mm-hmm. Okewinge area early uh, 1500s where they dug out this ditch and have in detailed, um, you know, documentation about how many burros and ox and horses it took. And so the people who were involved in creating those ditches, depending on how much labor you provided, is how many derechos you received. That was your water right. Mm -hmm. So if your family 
provided so much labor, that's how many hours or you know you got water rights water. shares that you got on the asset. Right. Yeah. Right. And those people that those same heirs and families have lived in these communities for generations and they continue to look toward those historical governing practices of sharing water, of you know, moving water across the land, of maintaining their acequias. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a very ancient tradition that's practiced all over the world. Um, in India, in Spain still today, in Mexico, we have acequias that follow the Camino Rael all the way to New Mexico, and those are still functioning waterways that the people use to farm. So, of course, when the United States government came in, they, they saw that the common lands were very much had their own system that were governed, had mayadromos, were managing water effectively. And so they codified that into state law. And that, that's where it gets a little bit more complicated with acequias because we were, this is the common ethic of the land. You know, this is how we move water. Because an acequia system is more than just moving water. It is, it's, it's a, it's a communal, perhaps even could be described as like one of the most democratic Absolutely. type of systems where you're literally yelling at your neighbor, <laughs> you know, you're, you're literally face to face negotiation on how you do, on how these things are shared. So it's, it's more than just moving water. It's an actual, um, it's an actual governance. It's a culture. It's yes. a, it's a way of being beyond just the water, but based on the water. Absolutely. Yeah, the acequias are, like you said, the most democratic system, I would say, here in the United States, is we see that they manage water to the very last drop they share, right? right? And those that herencia and that ethic of sharing the water comes from the Quran, right? It's these mm-hmm. old, um, you know, biblical and religious beliefs of that the animals and the water, I mean, the animals and the people all share, that they all have a human right to this water. And so still to to this day, even though that now we have Western water law and we have so many rules and regulations to abide by in state law, the essence of the acequia culture is still very much alive and empowers the mayadromos to make these decisions so people and basins can come together and share water effectively, especially now in times of scarcity. Right, right. I I remember when I I was, I think, 21 and I took off to North Africa and was kind of hitchhiking around there. But I remember being in the mountains in Morocco and seeing these systems. I was like, that's, that's just like home. Like what, you know, it really, I didn't, I didn't at the time know where Asakias came from. So I was really kind of blown away and struck by, by seeing that so far away. And, and of course now it makes sense, but and it's <laughs> but amazing it didn't. The, the ingenuity of the acequia. If we really think about it, there's some communities that are that brought water from canyons, right. from up into these mountains. And if you can imagine, all by horse well, and, and walking and right. using fire and water to break through rock to form these acequias to bring the water wow. down the mountain. It, it is to, amazing. Like for example, um, is it there's the one that comes off a of Santa Fe Baldi. There's What's the other one that's pretty amazing that is it comes off of Hikarita in in oh, uh, right in, in um, Pecos. In, yes. Yeah. Yes. So so how did they you know how did they do that work at that time? Well, you know, like I said, all handmade tools. It was right. just all with um, passion and dedication and hard work. I mean, miles and miles of ditch. Yeah. And, and there is some, you know, history about what type of tools, you know, but all handmade, right. really wood. Right. And, and also rock. the engineering that goes on <laughs> with that, because if, if the water runs too slow, it doesn't get there. If it runs too fast, it blows it out. There's, right. that's, that's, it's a brilliant 
you had to be pretty smart to be able to do it's, that. <laughs> I mean, our, our forefathers were, you know, our predecessors and cre- it created a very intellectual and sustainable system because here we are today. The Taos Valley has 54 active acequias in this, in this area. And if you don't know that, it's because you're not looking through the, through the crannies and through the sides yeah. and in the valley where the, these acequias are still running. And right. it is because of the dedication and the vision to feed our people in this valley. So the United States invades the Southwest in 1848, takes over New Mexico. How, and you, you said that the acequias, the, the way the acequias do things were incorporated into New Mexico state law, and it was part of the treaty with Mexico. So, so how, how, did that, how does that work with, the two, with the, an older system and then, and then a, a Euro-American system? Yeah, we could very much say that the acequias are a hybrid culture. Now we're, you know political subdivisions of the state. We've, we are local governments that can make decisions about water transfers, leaving or staying within the acequia community. And so um, it's challenging. It is definitely challenging. Um, but acequias, much like land grants, have very much had a very um, long tradition of record keeping, of being accountable to their members, of you know being accountable for public funds and really obtaining the history of, of an area of how to keep these areas in, in, um, you know, in fruition where there was food and water. So even though like these systems, of course, have many rules and regs that they need to follow, they're still very land-based and there's bartering, there's trading. People are still working each other's land. Not so much anymore. We see some people nowadays more like this is my water, right? This is my land, but it's very, it's not as common because the acequias are the common lands. And so we do face a lot of issues with state government. um, In in what way? What What are some of the issues at the state government level? Well, um, most I think acequias are seeing a lot of pushback when it comes to local eton- local autonomy of their water rights. You know, as we know in the in the state of New Mexico, all water rights are appropriated. Okay, so any new existing use of a water right needs to come from something that's already in use. So in other words, we have X amount of water in New Mexico Correct. and it's all been divided up. Exactly. Yes. Right. And so Automatically, when a big development happens, when our municipalities and our cities need water, they look toward agriculture. And it is, you know, there's stats that 30 to 40 percent of a new water appropriation for the city or urban areas is going to come from agriculture. And so we are, as local governments, making decisions about how our water is going to be managed, how we're going to share, how we're going to work with our neighbors um, to keep the, you know, our wells going as well. There's a lot of issues that we're seeing and faced. Asequia is running through the Forest Service or, you know, Bureau of Land Management. How to get permits to maintain our watersheds. We're working with all levels of um, the government and with our neighbors and new developers. And it's it's difficult um, because acequia is still the essence of the ethic of the acequias, like many land-based cultures, right, is just to work the land. You right. know, a lot of us are not <laughs> bureaucrats. <laughs> We're working the pala. We're, you know, moving water. And so it can be difficult at times. And um, it's challenging. Yeah. Um, this is Jim O'Donnell of the Taos Land Trust. I'm here with Olivia Romo from the New Mexico Acequia Association. And we're talking about water and acequias and culture. And we will be talking also about art in reference to water, land, and culture here in a little bit. 
You're listening to KNCE, Taos, True Taos Radio, 93.5 FM. So a lot of the, um, you know, I hear what you were just saying, but I have to, I also have to say that a lot of the uh, mayordomos and commissioners that I've worked with and met over the years, they're s- politically savvy people. Yeah, like, absolutely. You need, you need to know how to get around to... Uh, to be able to have that position. It's yes. not just it's not just about dividing up water. Right. No, no, you're very much right. Um, and our people very much have actually had positions in local government, county commissioners. These people have been involved for many years. And that's how they've gotten funding to keep their infrastructure going, you know, to increase the efficiency of irrigation, getting piping. And so, no, the acequias are very entre la bola. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're getting money. We're active. We're talking to our county commissioners. We're talking talking to our representatives saying this is what we need to continue these systems and to continue this way of life. And so beyond just helping um, continue existing acequias and helping them go, what about uh, um, reviving acequias that may have fallen out of use, such as the one that Taos Land Trust now has, the Vigili Romo. Right, the Vigili Romo. That's a beautiful project because acequias have indeed been threatened by um, development, by gentrification, as we see that, you know, Santa Fe once upon a time had about 20 or more active acequias. And with the annexation and as Santa Fe just swallowed up um, all the agriculture, there's only about two or three now that are really active but they face a lot of issues. Um, we've lost acequias here in Taos. You know, the spring ditch was sucked dry um, by, by development in the city. Um, and and as, as land-based people, we continue to, if we leave our communities and come back, you know, one of our, our hopes is we can revitalize these systems. And we do. There's oh, initiatives. Yeah, there are. There are. And we can, I'd like to talk about a couple of those. So what, but what happens when a town like Santa Fe fills up the agricultural land or when the town of Taos sucks the spring ditch dry, where, what happens to that water? Where does that go? Well, um, the the water rights, I guess I'm saying. That's like having so many straws in one cup, you know, they, these developments need the water rights. So usually they'll either buy or, um, yeah, they'll purchase a water right or get a permit to, you know, pump somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so as we see, even like in Costilla, top of the world farms, right? They, they didn't actually pipe the wet water there. They just sold the water rights. So Santa Fe could create their regional water system. Mm-hmm. And so acequias and, and sometimes, okay, when we look at the governance and this is at the, at the New Mexico Acequia Association, we do focus a lot on, you know, building and empowering acequias to make the local decision about whether water leaves their community or not. And the water transfers, we're seeing, you know, water just leaving. Parciantes, people leaving the area um, because they need to find better work or because there is no water. In times of such drought, you know, I'm working with a community outside of grants. And because of the industry, right, the impact of the coal mining, of uranium, um, their ojos have gone dry, their springs. And, And so because of that, they haven't had water in 30 years. Wow. So as so as the climate has dried, there's just less and less water, mm-hmm. and so they've seen their springs that that, that fed the ditches have just right. dried up. So the so the acequias still exist technically, right. but without any water. Right, and so people are inclined to sell their water because right. they're 
that they're trying to drill wells, you know, people in the Nambe Puake Tesuke Basin, you know, um, they, they're trying to drill wells because there's just no wet water. Right. So those are the types of, you know, um, when we think about water leaving agriculture and the pressures of people trying to get that water now, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty tight fight. Right. Know? Yeah. And it seems like it's just going to get tighter and tighter. That's right. You do, you use the term wet water and that may make people go, well, isn't all water wet, but there's, it's, it's a, it's almost a legal difference, right? There's, you're talking, there's the wet water and then there's paper water. Absolutely. Yeah. Like for example, this, you know, in, in San Rafael, they, there is no wet water. And so when a parciante tries to make um, an application to move water rights off the acequia, they're, they're trying to retain the right. You know, uh-huh. so that they can change the point of diversion somewhere else, so that they can irrigate somewhere else. You know, so when you talk about wet water, just like in, in Costilla, right? They're right. not actually moving technically the wet water. They're, they're changing the use on the Rio Grande. So right. the impact is going to be elsewhere. And so a lot of, it's hard for people to understand that. Because yeah. we come from a community where my elders like, never believed that water would be ever severed from the land. That's that's never. It is actually <laughs> kind of hard to imagine. You 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 think when you think about that, like you just think, well, this water flows to this land, or flows across this land, or flows from this land. Like, yeah. how can you take it off? But you know, we we do, we do, and we can. And it is it is kind of a hard thing to wrap your wrap your mind around. And it's and there's something, at least to me, that seems immoral about that. Absolutely. Um, rem- removing water from a piece of land. It, there's just something that doesn't work for me ethically. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, some of the biggest, you know, issues that I see uh, statewide for the acequias um, is we see, um, you know, the changing climate. The impact of drought is really something that is going to have to change the way we as farmers think how we're going to continue to farm and irrigate. So that's huge. Um, the changing demographics in our rural areas, a lot of our, our biggest resources are youth and they leave and they right. go get educated elsewhere and they don't come back to mom and pop's rancho or to farm. And so we're losing that. In, and then we have to educate the new people who are coming here and do value the acequia and the land and educating them about how, you know, the culture and how we move water um, in this area. And so that's another big issue. And how are you tackling that? How do you, how do you, uh, I have a bunch of questions out of what you just said, but, but on the last one of newcomers who come here and they're, they're all into uh, the traditions here and they want to help with the acequias. How do you reach out to them or do they reach out to you? Do you, you know, part of the organization is doing really good work with youth and education and outreach, which is really critical. But we have to remember that at one point in time, all these people came, came from a land-based culture. And we need to go back deep into our raices and into our hearts mm-hmm. and our blood and find that place con respeto and enter here in these communities and learn from our neighbors and learn from the people who've been working the water for generations, you know, humbly and say, okay, we want to learn. We want to grow food sustainably for our family. And so, you know, the New Mexico Acequia Association is doing very good work by, we have our Sembrando Semillas program. So we're, you know, engaging young people with family-based farms all over the state and, you know, get to go to different sites and do chicos and food preservation. We also have our farmer training program. So we're really engaged. Um, That was from Don Bustos model and American Friends Services. Uh, That's their model of training youth um, and or not just youth, but intergenerationally people who want to come back to the land. 
Um, I have seen, you know, non-Hispano or non-Sequia uh, farmers come to New Mexico to learn these models of so sustainability. So just to literally learn how to farm. Absolutely, to learn how to farm. And so that's how we're um, effectively trying to address the changing demographics and that gap. Uh, people and the generations, not the leadership Right. How right. do we get new leadership in the acequias, in the land grants, all of that? And it's through this. It's through actually putting your hands in the earth and working side by side with your neighbors. Um, Absolutely. So that's one. Good morning. This is Jim O'Donnell of the Taos Land Trust. I'm here at KNCE 93.5 FM, True Taos Radio with Olivia Romo of the New Mexico Acequia Association. And we're talking about acequias and water and culture and farming. And so I wanted to ask Olivia about her farm because she's not only uh, an activist and an artist, but she's also got her hands in the earth. Oh, thank you. Um, so I grew up here in, in Taos, in Llano Quemado. My, my family um, is actually from Ranchos de Taos, and my mom is from Costilla. Ah, the Rio Costilla. That could take me <laughs> down a whole other um, place. We, but, might, we might have to go down that road. Oh, it's so incredible <laughs> over there. It is. Um, but being, you know, my, my dad's family uh, farmed off the Acequia del Monte del Rio Chiquito de Taos, um, right below the, the tanque or the reservoir there. There. And so that land has been fertile for, for many, many years. Um, but now um, in Llano Quemado, my parents have a very small scale jardin and we raise sheep and goats and pigs um, and have our maize there. So it is a it has always been a way for me to keep my hands in the earth. But like many young people, I, I had to leave. Right. I, I left house to get higher education and to I, I go where the work takes me. And, and I am incredibly blessed that I can be working at the Asequia Association because I get to come home and learn from my elders. I get to go help on other farms, um, meet other youth who are just on fire about right. about the Asequias and about this work. And so, you know, shout out to all the homies who are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who are out there digging this the morning. Land, you know, yes. And they're there. They're, and, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a stereotype that young people are not, they don't care, that we don't right. know. But I really, you know, ask and, and challenge everybody to really teach and to open their hearts. And the young people who want to learn, you know, help us, help us to, to get to that place because we're going to need it. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll only touch on this a little, but I, I always come back to historical trauma. You know, our areas, it's cultural genocide, what's going on with the acequias and with our, with the environment. And one of the biggest traumatic things I see is, you know, being involved with the Taos Valley Acequia Association is our elders are passing rapidly. And there's this urgency to like pick up the pala and get involved and to listen and be at the table as young people, because if we don't listen and learn now, you know, we're not going to retain or, or keep some of that living history going right. and learn. Um, but it's happening. So I want to say like, no, there's young people who are doing it like myself. Um, and it's very inspiring. As, as you know, we talk about this all the time and everybody knows that we, this issue that we face in Northern New Mexico about our kids leaving for other opportunities. And one of the things you hear that is a stereotype is that, oh, kids don't want to work hard and be yeah. farmers and farming's hard work. It and is. I think that it, it, that may be a part of it for a few people, but in reality, the fact is you can't make a living. No matter how hard you work, Absolutely. it's very difficult to make a living. So how can a young person get a piece of land with some water and, and 
try to try to be able to feed well, themselves. You're very much right that it's very difficult. And what a lot of young people are doing is they're doing it part time. It is a huge sacrifice, but they are working jobs because in order to farm, you need investments. You need to invest in equipment or in seed, in your livestock. It is a very expensive, you know, initiative or investment. But once you start getting on the ground and doing that, you know, I think a lot of young people need to start thinking about certain cash crops, you know, to really start planting in this area, cooperatives. That the model of the acequia is to work together. And so young people, I think, are starting to realize that. And working together, you know, being tenant farmers. A lot of us, that's the problem. We don't own land yet. And in the acequia system, sometimes you inherit land, you know, until you're much later yeah, in life. Right. And so we need to just help help our elders at this point. You know, go and help um, Mr. Vigil open the head gate, you know, and just because he can't do it anymore. He's in his 80s or or help somebody reseed their property or go help weed. And so those are the types of things that young people can do. But overall, if you're a young individual and have a family, you can figure it out. You know, there's markets, mm -hmm. you can do it, but you may have to supplement your income. And do you, does the New Mexico Safety Association, Association have those kind of programs of Absolutely. helping? Yeah. So, so talk maybe a little bit about uh, a particular farmer you're helping look at different kind of cash crops or working right. cooperatively. So our, uh, our Los Sembradores farmer training program has been really instrumental in our Los Sembra Sembrando Semillas program um, starting, gosh, in the early you know 90s that has cultivated the younger generation, the leadership. You know, we see Miguel Santisteban doing right. this work. Um, we have a family in, in Peñasco and Chamisal who has, you know, constructed hoop houses and is, is a hub, right? Young people are coming together to learn from, from their elders about how to work the land. Um, we also have some youth here in Taos. Um, you know, Nicanor Ortega was one of our farmer trainees, and now he is growing peas and crops for market. And he has a small hito, and he's doing really How old good. Is he? I say he's a little older than me. I'm I'm 25, so he's like about 28. Okay. And he has a young son, and he is actively farming on the acequia de Atalaya. Um, Manito is kicking butt, and he puts all of his cariño. He's a, a an army veteran. Uh -huh. He came back and returned to the land to heal, and so the New Mexico Acequia Association helped him create a, a farm plan so he could market his food so he can you know really push his produce and to talk about a business plan and to really so help really to get down men. to the, the brass tacks of yeah. getting this done because it bolts. is a business it is yeah and you need to be creative you have to have a business mindset but also knowing that it's a lot of hard work and these young people are, are in it they're yeah. ready to do it yeah, i never have bought the uh, the whole uh, millennials are lazy and don't want to don't want to work hard because that's not what i see that's not, not my experience we're, ready. we're in the trenches yeah so. so going back to revitalizing an old acequia is there you know we talked about the vigili romo uh here in town and you've helped the taos land trust and that group get get going again um, and now we've got the acequias clean. We're just waiting for <laughs> we're just waiting for it to snow this winter to see if we can You're get some it. get some water. Um, but where else in the state are you guys perhaps 
bringing another acequia back to life? Because I, I think that's a fascinating subject. So um, there's one community that I've been actively working with, the Association of Community Ditches of the Rio San Jose. That's out in Grants area. There's two acequias. One, um, I assisted the Cubero Land Grant with you know the help of our legal staff at the Acequia Association and definitely some resources with the Soil and Water Conservation District and other partners about helping this this land grant establish an acequia. Um, because once again, I've said the pressures of industry and mining in that area, their springs went dry. And so we, the New Mexico Acequia Association, identified land grant heirs who had historic water rights, did a lot of community organizing. Just going out and talking to yeah, them. Yeah, discussing, mm-hmm. looking at the, hiking up into the cañones and seeing which properties were served by the ditch, doing mapping, doing research, and then helping them create an association. They're going through an active litigation. That's the Kermagee adjudication out there. So we helped them establish associations so that they could retain a lawyer and start begin, you know, defending their water rights. But there has been no wet water. So there's lots of conversation about watershed restoration. Some of these water tables are actually really, really um, high. They just have dropped over the years and they just need to keep digging, right? They need to really create maybe wells, artesian springs. There's lots of alternatives that these people need to start looking at. Watershed restoration, you know, tapando el ojito, so lining it and really coverage because water evaporates and it mm-hmm. retracts when we're in such an intense heat like we are now. And so those San Rafael, those acequias, you know, they, they've been dry and they don't have the privilege like we do of the Rio Grande. We have this right. massive stream system that like if you go to Alcalde, they always have water right i mean boom it's these big ditches they look like conservancy districts they do. And, and you're like oh wow that's the secure madre yeah um and so some areas are just we call it hierarchy right not yeah. you know because at the higher of the mountain you are you just are blessed because right. you get all of that water off of the mountain so those are some definitely revitalization initiatives that we're involved with definitely on the technical side and just helping provide resources for these areas to look at how do they bring the water back so um, when you when you do watershed restoration you know, I look at watershed restoration as a, as a possibility. You can actually create more water. That's right. You know, there's that. So, so what kind? How do you how do you work with with a group to actually do restoration? Because you, uh, with a lot of the uplands, you have multiple landowners. You could have a private landowner. You could have forest service. You could have um, a, a, a Native American tribe. You can have all these different groups. So, how do you bring them together and and actually do some of the restoration work on the ground? Well, it's a lot of partnership. You know, and we're we're involved in the the very aspect of just providing resources for funding. So we will help the acequias get the engineering, the designs, um, and try to find the funding to get these projects off the ground. And it's just networking on our part. Um, and so then they will go out and they're partnering with their soil and water conservation districts. The tribes get involved as well because they'll benefit from, you know, uh, these these more projects water. as well. Absolutely. Everybody wants more water. Yeah. <laughs> it's a win-win. And um, there's some great environmental groups that have been mm-hmm. happening 
happening. I think a good uh, model to reference is the Rio Fernando Revitalization Project. Right. And so th- there is initiatives happening, and we just provide support to the Ezequias. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's exciting to see what they're doing in the Rio Fernando. Um, it is. A lot of collaboration and minds put together. Right. This is Jim O'Donnell of the Taos Land Trust, and I'm here on KNCE 93.5 FM with Olivia Roma of the New Mexico Seiki Association. Talk a little bit about Rio Fernando and and uh, your role in that. Absolutely. So I sit on the board of the Taos Valley Leadership and Education Committee, and I'm just going to give a short plug-in and shout-out um, because the Taos Valley Asequia Association is one of the largest regional Asequia associations in the state of New Mexico, representing 54 Asequias, has 18 board members, um, and like I said, it's one of the, the oldest when when organizing is happening all around the state, they said, well, what is Taos doing? You know, they, they look to Taos. Um, so that's that's really exciting. And being a part of this committee, you know, we have looked at different stream systems in the valley and have gone back to the community to, you know, really identify what are stream system issues that the valley could be addressing. Partnerships like that, that's how they emerge. You know, and it's really beautiful to see that we have Amigos Bravos, we have the Taos Valley Asequia Association, the Taos Land Trust, you know, all these groups coming together to talk about restoring the Rio Fernando um, or helping it become revived, you know, cleaning it out, talking about water quality, talking about, um, you know, preserving these wetlands, these gems, right, that have been along this stream system. The Rio Fernando was once a perennial stream. Yeah. And it's, I mean, by May this year, it was dry. It was dry. There was nothing. So there's everybody's coming together. You know, the town of Taos, and they have really put their heads together to talk about the acequias, to talk about wildlife, our ecology, and restoring the entire health. And it doesn't take just one people. It takes a community. And so this, they have been making some great strides in, in really figuring out what the Rio Fernando needs to provide not just to irrigators, but to neighbors and to people who are living along, you know, this beautiful stream system, you know, that feed our parks, that, you know, environmental justice is about having healthy places where we can eat food, we can pray, we can teach, we we can recreate, we create, absolutely. And so that's a part of it. And the Rio Fernando has been only, you know, and it also feeds the Rio Pueblo. And so it's, it's a very beautiful model. And, you know, I've been to numerous meetings, gone out there with the Mayadromos and with Amigos Bravos has looked at water testing for, you know, there's high amounts of E. coli. So it's interesting. There's lots of work to be done. And but I can see that in the next few years, this is going to be a great project. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, what I like about it, because I I remember the days in the early 90s when everybody was shouting at each other. you know, all over the state and not working together. And I, it's, it's really nice for me to see. uh, um, And I, you know, I I participated in some of that shouting, but we're all (laughs) talking, we're all talking and working towards solutions. Um, Speaking of Rio Fernando park um, on Saturday, August 18th from one to 3 PM, the Taos land trust is going to uh, reveal the final design plan for the Rio Fernando park. Um, It's, it's the final design plan, based on a lot of public input and you will still be able to comment even though we're calling it the final there's still some comment time so uh saturday august 18th from 1 to 3 p.m at 410 la posta road here in taos we're also going to work with local artists to build these giant bird nests for well and the idea was we'll do it for kids but i'm thinking i want to 
hang out in a bird nest and, <laughs> and read my book, you know. Um, so uh, so come on out there uh, August 18th from 1 to 3 p.m. This is Jim O'Donnell of the Taos Land Trust, and I'm here with Olivia Romo of the New Mexico Seiki Association, and we'll be right back. Good morning. This is Jim O'Donnell of the Taos Land Trust and Olivia Romo of the New Mexico Seiki Association, and... I feel like I could sit here and talk with her for several hours, but we've only got about 15 minutes left. So I first got to know Olivia. Actually, I got to know who she was, but she didn't know who I was. In 2009, um, I was a photographer for the uh, for the Taos High Poetry Slam event, which she won as uh, a master poet. And um, so I was telling her yesterday that I think I probably have pictures of her somewhere. I know I do. I just got to look them up. And then in 2011, you went on to win the New Mexico State Poetry Slam, which is which is pretty fantastic. And so we were just listening to to Mr. Vigil and um, and his songs about the land and the culture. And your poetry is largely about the land and the culture. And so I want to start off by asking you, uh, or continue by asking you to perform a perform some of your poetry, please. Absolutely. So I know that I have. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about how I started doing my work and, and writing, but I'm going to just jump into a poem. And I talked about working in the Rio San Jose area. So this poem is dedicated to the to the communities out there of the Rio San Jose, and the poem is titled "Los Ojos Sagrado de San Jose." It was a dry, windy December in the town of Cebolleta, the first Spanish settlement west of the Rio Grande. An acequia meeting rolled farmers into the community center like a tumbleweed, tangled with politics, pride, and power over the last drops of water from the sacred Mount Taylor. Dusty boots, chapped red faces, voting by acreage, unable to find people to clean the ditches anyway. I sit there. Young, passionate, but afraid that if the water rights are taken away, these people will have no reason to live here, this way, anymore. I joined the Hermano Mayor to the Morada in Moquino after the meeting, where only three penitentes survive. But at my surprise, I am greeted by a particular saint, Dona Sebastiana. I know what this means, so this is the prayer I bring. Wesera, do not kill the last farmers. They were doing everything they can to irrigate, grow food, herd livestock into the sacred sierras, Totstitli, the sierras of San Mateo. But the spirit of the mountain is under attack, mining coal, uranium, water. Now the pueblos serving our people with legal documents, litigating for the water that was rightfully theirs. Pero no podemos arregar con sangre. No hay más agua, no hay más tierra, Santa Muerte, spare the last farmers, spare the sacred springs, the last drops of clean water the mountain has left to give. These ojos are the womb of Mount Taylor, was refuge for the Spanish settlers in the 1500s, portals to other worlds and ancestors to the Dene. Los ojos, sage speckled green, like the eyes of a coyote cowboy who hisses Spanish better than a rattlesnake. The last vaquero in western New Mexico to run 4,000 head of cattle. Can you see him rolling his cigarro on his strongest caballo, his hat faded from the wicked nails of the sun? 
Este Serreño lets out a sharp whistle from his chapped lips, running the herd deep into the sierras. The cows moan and kick up yellow earth. Santa Muerte, spare the dying cows, spare the dry earth, spare the young people who need to quit running the tractor to run the power plant. Ancestors, send us rain. Let justice relieve these fields so the children can taste their inheritance and apples grown from abuelito árboles, semillas de la conquista, grown from acoma tears, hueldi, the long walk. Those tears will wash away the remnants of the fort in Cebolleta, but can't seem to but can't seem to wash the bloodshed from El Misión de San Esteban, San Jose, fighting over contaminated creeks and streams. Una cochinaja como el Rio Puerco. Ojo del Gallo. He no longer cries. Instead, he is a rooster who fights drunkenly through the night down at the watering hole known as Palomas, cocking his head back round after round until the bottle breaks. Now we stand in the priority line with our vessel dry. It is you who really makes the decision on who lives or dies. So I surrender to you, Sebastiana, mis huesos, sangre y mi fe, por las vidas, agricultura. My eyes slowly lift and my ears hum with the growing alabados of the penitentes bringing me back into time. After the prayers are done, I leave the morada with my soul so much lighter. Scale the mountain back to the springs where I give my offering of tobacco. And one day I will offer up my ashes for we will all return back to the earth. And all these legal claims over her body will be erased and evaporated back into the clouds. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. That's just beautiful. So th there's this link between, I think this is worldwide. There's a link between farming, the land, poetry, song, and politics. Absolutely. Why? Well, um, Why is that true for you, at least? For me, you know, <laughs> growing up here in, in northern New Mexico, I was always, you know, deep in my journal because... You know, I read a lot. That was my only way to experience anything other than here. But as I grew to be in the Resolana with my elders, you know, shelling corn underneath the portal and, you know, moving water and, and planting, I realized that the stories and the characters of these areas were really rich. Very yeah. young, the the dichos, the the idioma, the lenguaje of this region, um, and who I was. So discovering my identity and and really digging deep into the stories that I had been told, really fueled a lot of inspiration. You know, one of my maestros when I was in high school, uh, Francis Han, he was the English teacher. He's still yeah, the English teacher. He's there. still there. He he's told great. me when I was, you know, a mocosita. He told me, he said, Olivia, write what you know. And that was the best advice I was ever given because along for the longest time, I, I didn't know, you know, Chicano poets and, you know, people were writing about the land, right? There was this um, big literary artists were making these connections for, for hundreds of years. And I just didn't pick up those books. And so later on, as I really kept develop, developing in literature and language and poetry, um, I realized that my narrative very much fit. And I continue to cultivate this and listen. And as I travel across the state, I, you know, working with NMAA, I've had the most beautiful opportunities to go into these very sacred valleys and areas. 
you know, that are almost, you know, otherworldly, so magical. Um, The walls in the houses are still painted that pink and blue turquoise and there's growing, they're growing blue corn and it's just so like uh, 300 years ago. And so it's very inspiring and it fuels my my work and it, and there's a political aspect of it too like Absolutely. you're you're not shying away from that no and i think that because poetry is a very powerful vehicle to wake people and move people um you know i came from the poetry slam culture you know as a young person here and i noticed that like young people don't have a voice it is really difficult to be heard and so poetry gave me an opportunity to share and also you know coming from this rural area you know talking about our struggles and putting them in the forefront and not being afraid to say like this is who we are and this is what we believe in and no we are going nowhere and we are gonna fight till the end you know like this is entre la lucha like this is our querencia this is our homeland and we are gonna dig our hills in deep and and so yes there is definitely this aspect of you know resistance and resiliency in my work um and it's because you know um poetry is political (laughs) yeah and 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 should be yeah yeah absolutely What, what is manito Ah, hermanito. So I'll I'll go very short because people yep. have written dissertations on the manito right, culture. Right, of course, okay. but we only have four minutes. <laughs> so okay, well, the manitos in northern New Mexico, as um, this valley was very lush and full of agriculture, people needed farmhands. So my grandpa had a lot of irrigated land in Ranchos de Taos, and would call his hermanitos de Colorado right, from all places of, you know, from northern New Mexico to southern Colorado to come and help work the land. And it was all this system of of bartering and trading and I'll come help you pick your crop, shell your corn or move your animals, move your sheep to Wyoming, and we will continue to live. We'll survive in this arid region. Um, And so El Manito, como farm worker, right, hand, mano, Mano Jim, Mano Mana Olivia, it became an endearing term of help, ayuda, mano, mm-hmm. and also of respeto, sister, brother. Um, and so the Manito culture has continued from northern New Mexico, and you can find it in, in southern Colorado and all the way to Wyoming, because during the Borreguera, those were the Manitos, the Indio-Hispano people who occupied this region, right, the corridor of the San Luis Valley, um, all out toward Colorado, and this exchange, Mano. And it still goes on. Absolutely. Yes. So if you hear somebody call you manito, that's a very good term of endearment and respect. Uh, That's great. That's great. So are you still writing? Absolutely. You are. Um, I actually am getting prepared to go to the uh, 36th annual National Cowboy Poetry Festival next year. Oh, wow. I'm going to be invited in September to the Pueblo, um, Pueblo, Colorado. Um, that's where I'm from. Historical Cultural Center. Wow, that's yeah. so cool. I yeah. talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> and they're having a big gallery opening, and I'm going to be talking about Arte Sin Fronteras, okay. so the borderlands. And I'll be doing my poetry and actually have some of my work showcased there. That's fantastic. One of the things that you and I have both been working on is this Water is Community project. Yes. And um, so, you know, long story short, we we went out and we interviewed and did basically oral histories with, uh, with both Somos and Paseo okay. to collect stories from people around town about water. And I just wanted to know if you had a favorite interview. 
my oh my favorite interview gosh that's really hard um I would have to say my favorite interview was with Gabriel uh, Olguin Romo, and he's a board member of the Taos Valley Asequia Association, and I joke my long-distant primo because we're both Romo, but we don't know yet, and you know, we're in Taos. Long story short is, you know, I've been working with him. He's still my mayor. He's a little older than me, but hearing about his story, working the land, working his sheep in Amalia, and this young man who's traveling from California, working California to invest in his farm. Awesome. And so these stories are what we want to uplift, not just in poetry, in the work, um, but as we continue to work together for water in Taos. Yeah. This has been Jim O'Donnell of the Taos Land Trust, and I've been here with Olivia Romo of the New Mexico Seiki Association. And unfortunately, we are out of time.